Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray looking forward to taking a breather from the turmoil at the top of the game for a bit and focusing our energies instead where they belong in golf, which is, funnily enough, the clues in the title, golf. It'd be yeah. nice. Uh, there's nothing quite like a major week, and this week's US Open at LA Country Club is shaping as potentially something quite special. In a moment, we'll be getting some of the buzz from on the ground in California with a special guest and a voice you'll be familiar with by the end of the week, if you're not already, TV commentator Ned Michaels. But first, my fellow good-gooders, I just made that up, good-gooders, mm-hmm. uh, starting with golf royalty, it seems. Now, we know him as Logue, but according to a press release that hit my inbox this week, he is in fact, and I quote, leading expert in golf handicapping and golf club management solutions, and is now, I quote, Director of International Product Management at Golf Genius. Now, like, that's pretty impressive for a bloke who I can honestly say I have never seen do a <laughs> stitch of anything resembling work. I know I make it look easy, but, you know, today's not about me, Rod. It's, uh, <laughs> we're here to speak to Ned. Oh, you haven't introduced a guest yet, have you? Not yet, no. Okay, sorry. But you go right I'll, ahead. I'll, Look, you're the. I'll you're, just say today's you're guest. You're a leading expert in golf handicapping and golf club. <laughs> so if you want to say something, you go ahead and say it. I'll, well, I'll just I'm say also it. here, but we'll, we'll ignore me. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to you. Uh, you know, just, we're, we're, we're talking to Ned today, who's a frequent broadcast partner of, of, you, and Porter, of you and Porter. Friend of the pod. I think today we'll find out who's Simon and who's Garfunkel yeah. in that partnership. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Congratulations on the new job in all seriousness. And I actually, I do look forward to actually seeing you do some work. That would be nice. Also here in studio, Golf Australia Magazine Deputy and Digital Editor, Jimmy Emanuel. Jimmy, us working media types never have press releases written about us, but we know who does the real work in the industry. Absolutely, we do. <laughs> I have been in a press release once. Have you? What for? Not. It wasn't about golf. <laughs> what did you do? Uh, nothing, nothing I'd be repeating here. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Enough of all that. To a guest who genuinely does count this week, former Asian and European tour player turned commentator and analyst, who will be a familiar voice on the international TV feed this week, Ned Michaels. Ned, thanks for taking some time. How's the atmosphere on the ground early in the week there at LA Country Club? This one does feel a bit different from the outside. Yeah. It uh, First of all, Thanks for having me. Second of all, you and Porter. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) It came up early. Let's deal with it. (laughs) Oh, man, I love me some you and Porter. I have to admit, I love that guy. I love working with him. He's a a good soul. He's an old soul. Uh, LACC, Los Angeles Country Club, and some call it the Los Angeles Country Club. I don't know. It's, It's Los Angeles Country Club. And the vibe is awesome. You know, West Coast, today it started... A little bit cloudy. They have this June gloom kind of thing that it hangs, but it burned off pretty quick. So it was a perfect California sunny afternoon. Breezes coming off the ocean, which is the obviously the prevailing wind. Um, I'd spent a lot of time talking to players it was all day on the golf course. And normally you the players will some will gripe about the the course and the rough, but this week nothing. Every player I talked to said how good the place is. You can feel the history of it I mean, the golf course though, is 1920s and you think well they're going to be able to tear it up maybe but it's got some length it's got some teeth but it's just a beautiful very thoughtful in the terms of how you're going to have to play there's a lot of strategy involved this golf course you can't overpower it but if you try to overpower it, you don't pull it off you're going to be gone quick so it's uh the rough is up and the greens are fast and pure 
but the fairways are wide. So I actually think you're going to see some pretty good scoring this week. Yeah. It, it looks like one of those golf calls from the outside, a little bit like Royal Melbourne, Augusta National in some ways, where if you miss in the wrong spot, it's diabolical. And even for the best in the world, getting down in three will be a good effort. And of course, the best in the world never think about getting down in three. So they try to get down in two and it takes them four. And that's what makes for entertaining golf, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And every hole just about is like that uh, uh, here. And Look at 15. It's this little bitty par three. The, the par threes are all mammoth. They can stretch them out to 290. Yeah. Uh, they, but the 15th at one point is going to play 72 yards. Wow. <laughs> so you're going to have, you're going to have uh, 290, 250, you know, they'll, they'll change it up to 22 and that you're going to have 73 and it's going to be right in the pocket of where you could blow this tournament. And somebody sadly, is going to make a number on the 15th when they push that the tees up and they tuck the whole location in the front right. Somebody's going to plug one in the bunker and they're going to end up walking off with a five and it's going to cost them a championship. But that is what you're saying. That's entertaining, right? And Don't then the guy. next hole. That, that someone is Phil Mickelson. <laughs> <laughs> he had his turn at Marriott. So it's funny, isn't it? You put those two par threes together, you get yourself a short par four. Right. 70, 70 yards and 290 yards. These guys are hitting, what, four-iron flick wedge. Yeah. 70 yards wouldn't even be a full shot for anyone in this field, would it, Ned? In all seriousness, it wouldn't be a 100% swing for anybody at 70 yards. Right, which is, think about hmm. it, under the pump. Oh, yeah, Sunday um, afternoon trying to hit a three-quarter shot with four holes to correct. play and you're in the mix. My goodness. That's a good, yeah. ni- that's got, a good knife sandwich for me. It, oh. got put it- <laughs> hard, hard to control no, the, the knife distance. The sandwich is just, <laughs> is just rising at 73 yards. <laughs> no, no. I, me, I know a good knife sandwich. I've though. got a technique. You take the bounce out of it. Really really get in that lead. Hugging on the sickening <laughs> knee-high fizzer. They, they spin on the 10th bounce. <laughs> uh, indeed. Well, you also have to think, too, do I put it on a tee? Yeah. yeah. When, do, when do you ever yeah. hit a 73-yarder off yeah. the tee? But then the, it, it's cut so tight. You don't want to hit it heavy either, so uh, yeah. you know there's th- this this golf course is going to make you think every single step of the way. Yeah, yeah, indeed. What are you most looking forward to? You've got a bit of a history with LA Country Club. I think you told us you were born in LA and were there for the first fifteen years of your life, and you've known some members or family members who've been members of the course. What are you looking forward to as someone who might know the place a bit better, certainly than most of the field? Yeah, this I, I love this place. I was born out here. Mom and Dad lived out here for nearly two decades. And we used to summer, spend summers out here for a couple of weeks, visiting all their old friends and um, members here. So I've, I've played this place plenty of times. Um, I'm just looking forward to Los Angeles hosting uh, the United States Open, specifically Los Angeles Country Club, because the, the United States Open is the most democratic. It's the, it's the Open. It, same with the Open Championship. Those two together, Anybody can play legitimately. If, if you have the talent, you can find yourself playing in this. And Los Angeles Country Club is notoriously a very private, very secluded um, country club. So, so for these two to be married together, you never would have thought it was going to happen. Yeah, it's got all, um, got all the elements, doesn't it, Logue? It's got the intrigue. The Playboy it, yeah. Mansion is, mm-hmm. is on the 13th hole. Famous Hollywood stars, houses dotted all around the place. It's more than just the golf this week, it's I that, feel like. It's that combination of golden age architecture with a modern, like a very modern feel to the golf mm-hmm. course as well, but with, and it's something that's only been enhanced by that cityscape rising up around the course, and so you're going to have these magnificent views of shiny silver buildings all around the course, and I, I can't wait to see what the coverage is going to look like. Oh, it's going to it's going to be epic. They're going to have these drone shots that show you this oasis in the middle middle of you know it's Beverly Hills. 
Santa Monica Boulevard, Culver City. And by the way, so downtown Los Angeles, you can see in the distance, but Culver City has kind of grown up around Los Angeles Country Club. And that's where all the big private equity money is. So when you're driving in, you got Lamborghinis and all kinds of car shops and fancy cars. And it's going to be a scene, let me tell you. And then you have this oasis of, of Los Angeles Country Club, which which I'm told is the second most valuable undeveloped piece of property, um, if not in the world, it's certainly in America, only behind Central Park in New York. Wow. So you, d- you just have uh, this this incredible piece of property with the designs you mentioned, golden era of architecture that's going to test the best players in the world. And I'm interested to see how the USGA sets it up. It's going to be bone dry. They can do whatever they want with that's it. Great they can get the greens firm. They can get all these fairways have cambers. Yeah. And so, for example, I talked to uh, Tommy Fleetwood and Ian Finnis today. You know, Tommy has that little, that two wood that he's put in. And interestingly, it doesn't go as far as his three wood. It goes about 275, 280. He told me it carries off the tee, but he hits it laser straight. It doesn't move it at all, just straight. And it comes off with not much spin. So that's perfect for these fairways because you can aim it down the left side and use the slope. Or you can aim it down the right side and use the slope. And because it has a flatter trajectory when he wants it to, it'll just run forever. So I think that really opens the field to anybody. You don't have to be the longest hitter. But you're also going to see some serious separation. I don't think you're going to see packing in. I think the guys, you got to get off fast. You, you, whoever plays well on Thursday, maybe even Friday morning, I think you're going to see they're going to stay at the top of the leaderboard. I, I just think you're going to have a pretty good amount of separation. So you got to come out thinking aggressive. Whereas maybe in the U.S. Open, most of the time, mm-hmm. you come out thinking just make par. Yep. And that's not going to get it done, I don't think, this this week. Defensively, in fact, you'll probably feel like, and we would think early in the week particularly, we seem to see this with championships these days, everyone's taking a cue from Augusta. They make it kind of tough early in the week, then you get the easier at the end of the week. So you'll feel like you're losing ground if you're going backwards early in the week when people are making bars. And then you've got a long way to try and make up yep. when it gets to the weekend. Well, it feels like looking at all the holes and looking at the golf course, there's more half-par holes than we normally get at a US Open. So there's more par really means nothing. It's just your state against the rest of the field. Yeah. And if you, like Ned says, guys are going to go out there trying to just stay around even par the first day, you're going to be a couple back and you're going to have yeah. hard work getting catching it back up. Mixed uh, mixed information about the condition of the course, Ned. We saw the USGA tweeted out a picture of the you know the annual ball going into the deep rough sort of thing. We've had others. We've seen footage where it doesn't look like there's much in the way of that really thick rough. What's the situation on the ground there? Is it a bit of a patchy mixed bag? There's sections of that and sections where it's not. What are we going to see? Yeah, I think uh, to call it patchy probably isn't quite fair, but yes, you, you can draw a good lie. No doubt, but then you can draw just complete nastiness. I watched um, Max Homo on the second today, to the right of the second, hit a uh, gap wedge, moved it about, I don't know, 15 yards, then had to do it again. Wow. So you you can find some pockets of, of really deep, again, Bermuda's first time we've had Bermuda rough at a U.S. Open since Pinehurst in 2014. And of course, that really wasn't even Bermuda rough. It was just all the kind of sandy areas. But um, there are certain holes that uh, 12, for example, the dog leg that bends from right to left, they've grown the rough up deeper there than they have some some other holes. So you, you have to know, you really as a player need to know which side of the fairway the deeper rough is, uh, and then also which holes they've popped the rough up on. So they've done it in strategic places. So you're going you're gonna to see some really horrible, horrible eyes, but you're also going to see a couple of times where players get away with it. Um, 
around the bunkers, you got this kind of fescue. It's almost like a common yard grass, for lack of a better term. But it is it is thick, it is dense, and the roots are strong. So uh, you're going to get hung up just outside these bunkers, and it's going to be a tough shot. And you're going to be you're going to be mad, and that was being polite. But <laughs> you're going to be <laughs> why me? <laughs> because two two feet to the right, you're in the bunker, yeah. and it's a pretty easy shot. But here I am sitting here going, "Yeah, why me? This yeah. stinks." So uh, you know, it's going to test your patience, which of course the U.S. Open is supposed to do. Good and- friend of the pod, Mike Clayton, is already furious at the notion that there's rough around the bunker. It should be in the sand. <laughs> just hearing you talk about it, Ned. And like- and then there's some variety in the barrancas as well. I believe, Ned. The <laughs> Uh, if you're playing the drinking game, interesting sort of, of mix. first mention of barrancas. Yeah. <laughs> but it looks like a really interesting mix of sort of indigenous stuff and interesting ground cover and a bit of exposed sand and all sorts of stuff going on in those barrancas. Yes. Yes. So I, I grew up in Georgia, but of course was born out here and spent my beginning, my childhood out here. And mom and dad who play golf would use the word barranca in Georgia. They don't use the word barranca. Like no one has ever heard of that. So you, you, growing up, I'd say barranca, and people would look at me. What in the world is a barranca? <laughs> well, out here, it's a barranca. It's, it's a really, it's a poshy term, right? It's a, it's a bougie term for saying washout. Yeah, uh-huh. and it, it is. You can get a good lie. I watched Sergio hit a couple out of one of the barrancas today, and no problem. It's you know, it's a heavier sand. It's almost like a river bottom sand. So you need more speed. You probably need a little, little less loft. But um, you can also be completely dead. So it's it's one foot away. You got a shot. And where you are, you're at the bottom of a bush and you're taking a drop. Now, if you find yourself in one of those, you've hit a pretty terrible shot. So you, you probably deserve a penalty of some variety because they're not maybe six is be the only one. If you're trying to drive, it's that downhill drivable par four. You could find that barranca pretty easily. Um, eight, the par five, maybe, but for the most part, they're, they're there just for when you're out of position, um, and you're trying to get a little bit more aggressive than you need to be. Yeah. Then you're going to find them and they can be pretty dangerous. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Barranca guy, Ned. So that's, it's a real California only thing though, isn't it? Barranca? I don't think you hear it, it is, anywhere it is, outside uh, of yeah. California is the only place I've ever heard yeah. people refer to but Barrancas. I, I hope to speak it into existence yeah. around the world by just constantly <laughs> mentoning f- it whenever I can. Got to find some first. Have we got any in Sydney? Yeah. Yeah. We can, I'm going to just start co- based Barranca off, in Sydney. Based well, off we, Ned's we, just, definition. we tend to cement them over and call them canals. Based off Ned's Wait, definition. What's the over under on how many times you're going to hear that in the podcast? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Between that and Father's Day, thirty times a day, it'll be it'll be it'll be relentless. Ned, one of the things that strikes me while you're talking in from looking at the golf course model, this this week will be a real test of not just execution but both imagination, judgment, and restraint. Of course, one of the things that happens when you give a tour player something that looks like a lie is they believe they can do something, and that's when the game gets interesting, isn't it? Because the very best players know when they can't. They also know when they can. And the reason they all think they can is because they hit some incredible shots from places that us recreational golfers can't imagine. That's when the game's at its most interesting, isn't it? People mistake difficult for interesting. I think this week's going to be interesting golf. There'll be good scoring, but it's going to be interesting golf for those reasons. Yeah, you, you, you nailed it. Because this Bermuda Rough, as you know, you can get these little jumpers. Yeah. And so you, you think, okay, I, I can get a club on this. I think I can, if I really swing hard, I can get this eight iron to, to jump out, you know, to come out of here and get to the front of the green. Next thing you know, you get the jumper and it's air mailing the green. And something that they've done on, on quite a few holes 
typically, not typically, but quite often you'll see the grandstands come into play where a guy catches that flyer when he's not expecting it, airmails it into the grandstands, and then he gets a drop. And it basically is like saving half a shot. A lot of places here, they they don't have the grandstands that close. So you're actually going to pay the penalty. And several of the holes right behind the green is a is a drop off uh-huh. and 40 yards of just junk. And so you're not going to get saved by the grandstand. So you now really do have to think about the shot of, okay, if I catch this solid and the flyer does happen, what's long of the green? So then subconsciously <laughs> you start thinking, well, I don't want to do that. So that, and now you know where I'm going. It snowballs and now you're a wreck. You're back to and, a nine so iron, up- maybe a wedge. Then you hit it fat, leave yourself 60 yards short yeah. of the green. You look like a fool. You've done nothing. Why am I here? How that's, did this happen? That's Why didn't I get a job? You've visualized all of that <laughs> before <laughs> picking the club as well. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, it, it feels like a big a big week for caddies. Like a, a major yeah. always is, but this golf course really shapes as one of those where caddies, good caddies are earning their money yeah. with that sort of calculation and what else is there. Not just the yardages, the psychology too, Ned, because particularly at the US Open, these really tournaments where you know the pressure's really on, the caddies the psychologists as well, aren't they? Good caddies know not just yardages and, and clubs, but how to talk their player down when things are looking like they go sideways. Yeah, yeah, um, you're totally right. The good thing about here... The wind doesn't really gust. It is just kind of steady. So caddy killers are when you get these gusty winds that are not even, you know, seven mile an hour gust is one thing, but the three and four mile an hour gust that it can hold up a ball just enough. You're not going to see that this week. You're just going to have, for the most part, pretty steady conditions where the caddies have to come into play big time here is getting the yardages. You don't, you never have a flat lie here. It's always above your feet. It's always below your feet. And then there's quite a bit of elevation change. So you've got you know some math. Also in the morning, cool to the afternoon, warm, you're going to see, say, a seven iron go six yards of difference. So you have to know as the day is going on what the temperature is and how much the ball flight is. And then there's this diminishing return when it, late in the afternoon, it gets cool again. And you've got to you've just got to be aware of it. And as a player, when you're in the heat of competition, th- these are things that you will forget. And your caddy has to always be paying attention. Uh, I think green reading out here, the greens are fast. They're pure. And they're not tricky. Uh, kind of what you see is what you get. There aren't subtleties. And so I think from a green reading standpoint, I think I actually think aim point probably helps, even though it slows the game down. Um, so uh, it comes down to managing a U.S. Open. It comes down to knowing the situation and how best to play the shot given a certain situation. And sure, the caddies are – Always an important element of that. They've got a, the biggest flex is when they know when to take five yards off for the adrenaline factor in the last nine holes. <laughs> Without mm, mentioning the it to the <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah not yeah. lying about it. Um, I'm really looking forward. We've talked a lot about the rough and seeing shots when players are in trouble. But I think what's going to be captivating in this US Open as well is shots from the fairway. And the way, and also just getting into the fairway as well, the way the players are going to have to shape the ball to fit those cambers on the fairway. But then you found yourself in a good lie and you're like looking at the green. This is truly a course where you strategically got to play it in reverse, right? Mm. Where the, 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 flag, the greens where have sections mm-hmm. and you've got to work out where you can two-putt from. And so it's going to be more than just who's hitting greens in regulation. It's going to be who's hitting greens in the right spot and actually getting close enough to the hole to make the occasional birdie and not to have to putt over 
weird areas of the green from one section to another because the greens have a lot of those sections. That'll wear you down as a player too, won't it, Ned? Yeah. And that'll come ten down to where you are. those putts a day from 30 feet where it's it's got to be exactly the right speed. And if conditions are firm, it's not just what the joy of that is going to be from a viewer point of view is some of these long par fours as well, like the third, the fifth, and the what is it, 13, 14, I think. 13, I think you've got to carry it 290 yards or you're coming back down the hill. So they're going to be hitting some mid-irons, hopefully, or like seven iron, I think counts as a mid-iron these days. Six irons or long iron if you're Dustin Johnson. (laughs) Yep, and uh, uh, the firmness of those greens um, from Ned's report is going to be a big factor. On It's going to be fascinating to see shots played off of good lies today, uh, this week. Tight. Tight lies. Yeah. Tight there. Yeah. yeah. It really will identify right. the best. Everything's moan yeah. tight. Yeah. If it sounds like, Ned, this is really going to identify the best player, isn't it? Because all of those elements are in play. You said you've been out there watching a bunch of players and saying, who is that going to be? Let's get to the nitty gritty. What did you see out there? You said you spoke to a bunch of players. There wasn't much in the way of griping. I'm sure that'll change as the week goes on. <laughs> it takes one bad bounce to turn the attitude yeah. as a golfer, doesn't it? But what did you see out there? And what sort of golfer are we looking at? Is there a type that might do well at LACC? I, I do think so. Uh, you, you're going to have to have some discipline because uh, I don't know that you need to hit a lot of drivers here. Can you? Yes. But the longer hitters have to make up their mind. If this place really does get as dry as as what the what we're saying it, it could be, um, you know, you've got to think about okay, if I'm going to roll a hundred yards or seventy yards, it's a three wood. It's five wood. It's a long iron. It's Tommy Fleetwood's two wood. Or I can just bomb it over the bunker, and if I'm hitting it well, I can turn this place into some uh, some really good birdie opportunities. But uh, I think, in my opinion, is it's a second shot golf course, and I do think that if you get running hot with the putter, you could putt your way to winning a U.S. Open. Uh, that being said, because the 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 lies are so tight, and if you are hitting mid irons. You know, you have to be a really technically superior, proper hitter of the ball to be able to excel in that environment. And then around the greens, same thing. So for me, I'm looking for a a good kind of mid-long iron player, uh, somebody who is who is putting well. Doesn't mean he ha- is a good putter, but he's putting well right now. And is a good bunker player. You're going to find yourself in some really weird positions in the bunkers. They're, they're nice bunkers. Uh, they're not overly difficult. So I think those, for me, are the three elements. Um, and when I look at that right now, I watched Rory McIlroy. Um, he was, I was doing PGA Tour Live uh, the last couple of weeks and have spent a lot of time with him in our broadcast on Marquee Group. And I've watched him play his way into really good form. And the thing I really like about McIlroy, his last two Sundays, he did not play well. Mm. He didn't convert. And so for me, that puts a chip on his shoulder. And so long iron players, no. there aren't many better no. than McElroy. He has a underrated bunker game, mm-hmm. way underrated bunker game. And he's putting beautifully. He led the field in strokes game putting most of the week in Canada. And yeah, his wedges aren't great. So what? He's probably not going to hit a lot of them. Uh, so I'm leaning right now towards McElroy for me is my favorite. 
and because he, he can hit the driver if he wants to and when he wants to. And he, as you say, if he's disciplined and he hits it in the right spots, he hits it better than anybody almost in the world. It really could be a massive advantage. You're right. I was watching. I remember the putty made on the 18th on Saturday at the Memorial to get into the last group. It was a par putt from maybe 10 or 12 fans. Like that wasn't just a putt. There was everything was about that putt to get in. He knew all that and he held it dead. So he held a bunch of those those last two weeks. I agree with you. I think he looks good. You know, the thing about Rory as well is when he has a bad round, he likes to tear his shirt, shirt off like the Hulk. <laughs> you know what shirt I'd love to see him tearing open? An Angus and Grace shirt. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> I would also. Angus and Grace. Outstanding. Could Sponsors. he tear one or are they such good quality that you'd, you'd need some sort of it a would be It would be difficult to tear the- uh, The Australian-made material. The Australian-made material that's yeah. also High designed in Australia. Good earth cotton polos, shorts, fabrics from Japan, all custom knit. All custom knit and showcased in their store, flagship store in Paddington in Sydney. Or you can see them on their website and on their Instagram. All Angus and Grace Go Golfing, the two Scottish Terriers who lend their name to Matt Burns' golfing label. Who he did not bring to the studio the day he came to visit us, which I was very disappointed about. I've met Angus and Grace numerous times. They're great dogs and they're dog great, guy. and it's great golf clothing. Yeah, there you go. Angus and Grace Go Golfing, the sponsor of this podcast. You never saw that coming, did you, Ned? None of us did. <laughs> never That's saw just... it coming. No, I didn't. <laughs> that was exceptionally done. I'm <laughs> Here is a difficult question, Ned. You said you went out and watched a bunch of players and Rory's impressed in the last couple of weeks. Is there anybody that we maybe should be looking away from? Did you see anything today that surprised you? Players that perhaps weren't coping with the conditions or yeah, the questions that was being asked? That's a fair, fair question. I, uh, I did it, actually. I'm going to say this name and he's going to end up winning by four or something like that. Um, it's a small sample size. I watched Max Homa play a couple holes and d- d- didn't um, like where he was with his golf swing. Um, saw him hit a couple of shots that kind of, wait, Max doesn't hit that shot. Hit hit a drive on the second that was um, flat, no spin, knuckly, block cut out to the right. And then he went over to this little 17 thing, this charity event. In the it's, I don't know, it's 100 yards or something. Um, so he tried to carve a little wedge back in there and the, and the, the club was coming in like a little bit steep in the sense of kind of outside and, and then he's having to back out of it and, try, you know, cause he wants to hit that cut and he hit this big block with a, with a wedge. I mean, he went in close, um, watched him play a couple holes. Now the next hole he hit to a foot, uh, but the ball was above his feet over on, on three. And so, you know, he's kind of flattening out a swing point. So, uh, he, he, that was Concerning, there's a lot of pressure on him as well, right? Because this is his home U.S. Yeah. Open. He he's, has the course record course at record Los Angeles hold. Country right. Club. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but now I did, as I was walking so many of these holes, kind of cross patterns. Um, I think we were on uh, seven or eight or something like that. And he was working around with uh, Mark Blackburn, his coach. So I'm sure they're working on it. I'm sure they're working it out. But if you, if you, for me, I, I would be paying attention to what he's doing on the range tomorrow. If they're grinding, that to me is a sign that he doesn't have the golf swing where he wants it. You wouldn't choose Tuesday so that would US be, Open week, would you, for to be having to have intensive looks at your golf? But having said that, the other thing that happens at this level, Ned, only takes one swing thought, doesn't it? Yeah. And it could happen on the third Correct. or Thursday. And it suddenly could, yeah. he's playing like Max Homer that shot 61 around this golf course a few years ago. So, yeah, I'll tell you a quick story. I was on the ground at the PGA Championship this year with with Brooks Kepka, and he's in our marquee group, so we get to see every single shot. 
And um, on the par five 13th hole, they were trying to decide what to do. He was in go for it range, the par five and two. And he didn't even think about it. Ricky Elliott was trying his best to get him to go for it. And Kepka knew he didn't have his best stuff. So he laid up, he knocked it on the green. You could tell he got through that round and kind of found something towards the end of it. And then each day, when they had him every day, each day you could tell the confidence was growing. They came there on Sunday, this same situation. He didn't hesitate, just pulled the three wood out and ripped right. it. Now, he didn't hit a great shot, but you could the, the confidence meter from Thursday to Sunday had completely gone from one side to the other in terms of being pegged, but he played his way into great form. So to your point, yeah, I mean, Homa, these guys, for the most part, they all can do that, but you have to have the discipline to do what you need to do, not what you're thinking you should do. It's tiger risk, isn't it? With the way. It's it's awful when you're watching, when you're covering a golf tournament, you're watching guys on the range starting to struggle. But it's also one of my favorite games is who's the last guy on the range on Wednesday <laughs> afternoon absolutely <laughs> grinding their backside off to try and find something, which is ruined regularly in Australian tournaments because Peter Fowler's playing and he's always the last guy. <laughs> no matter how he's playing, he's the And last I remember one day I was like, finally, Chucky's not the guy. This is amazing. It was a New South Wales Open. I was like taking photos of whoever it was who was obviously not happy to be having photos taken because they were not hitting the golf ball. I went in to go to the locker room and there's Chucky stretching, getting ready to go hit some balls and it's dark. And I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Ned, you've raised something really interesting, and it's a fairly new feature of broadcast golf, obviously, this idea of the marquee group. One of the things as golf spectators predominantly on television that we don't get to see is what happens between shots, and it tells you a real lot, doesn't it? It's the value of the on-course commentator, I think, is all the things that they see when the camera's not on the group. Tell us a bit about that as a commentator and an analyst and how different that is, and I'm sure you've got a fairly committed audience. I occasionally will turn on the marquee group if it's somebody I particularly like mm. uh, rather than watching the featured holes. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that and how that's informing golf. One of the things that happened at the Masters when they got every shot of every player, I think a lot of the players go back and look at their own shots, but not so much the swings, the behaviours around it, what did I do different when I was playing well to not well. It's a whole different vibe, isn't it, this marquee group idea? Yeah, I think as a player, if you if you go back and watch it, you can just watch your body language. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot. Um, yeah, it, it's really interesting to watch how the evolution of a round comes together or falls apart, and how the caddy plays a role. And the caddies now understand it, and they're almost using it as a, as a platform to build their own brand because they know we're as soon as the caddy and the players start talking, we stop talking because everybody wants to hear what they're saying. And so now you're seeing the caddies really start to have these lengthy conversations and insert themselves in uh, to to the I think the round a little bit more than they used to. Which I don't know if that's good or bad, but it it um, from a television viewing standpoint, it's, it's captivating. At least I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, from from being able to watch how the player goes through moods, how they handle good shots and bad shots, how they piece together a round, especially when they're hitting it poorly is something to, that we all can learn from because they, they don't hit it perfect. Sometimes they do. Rory hit it perfect just about on Saturday in Canada last week. That was uh, just much watch golf TV. If, you, if you're, if you're a golf nerd like us, um, but you can also watch guys have a good round going, hit one bad shot and they just lose the entire plot. And so you see it both ways, but um, one that jumps out to me, Matthew Wallace, 
who won um, in uh, Punta Cana earlier, um, he was coming from 15 to 16. And he, he said to his caddy, they were talking, he said, one more, probably need one more. And so he ended, you know, ends up winning birdies in the 16th hole and then par 17 and 18. So those little things of you get them, you get just a snapshot on what the player is really thinking. It's hard to capture that in the, the, the main yeah. television broadcast because you're trying to tell the story of the entire course. Whereas in the marquee group, you got one group. And so you can afford to just listen a little bit more and you're always going to learn something uh, when you when you get to hear the conversations and just watch the body language. That featured group stuff is so advantageous, I think, to young elite golfers trying to get better. Sit down and watch a full round of golf of a player and watch them not play that well, particularly at a major where it's like a grind and these guys have to go through these peaks and troughs. And particularly if you get one of the best players in the world not playing that well. You know, the, the falsity that tour pros hit it so good every time hmm. – He's gone, obviously, if you go out and watch him play. I was going to say, one of the great things about live golf is the poor golf. Is correct. <laughs> it makes, makes you feel better well, about the world. Number one, to see, see, see that a golf swing you think is so good can hit a batch. I mean, we're talking about Max Homer. It's one of, the, one of my favorite golf swings to look at and to, to know that it can get a little bit off plane and it can, you know, it can have its trouble. And then it leads to the recovery shot, which is the best part of professional yeah, golf. Yeah, without doubt. they rarely compound an error, don't they? Like, yeah, they, that's right. They rarely compound an error to the point. It takes a lot for them to make a bogey. That's right. Like, true. It's true. Takes a special skill to be a tour pro who can <laughs> compound errors. And we mentioned him at the top of the show, good friend of the show, Ewan Porter, an expert at compounding errors. I've never, my favorite thing that's ever been said was Peter Senior who said to me, you know, what separates the best players in the world isn't their good golf, it's their bad golf. Yeah. Those who play the best bad golf are the best players yeah, in the absolutely. world. Absolutely. Every Brooks, player Brooks on the tour going. can shoot 62, 63 when they're playing well. Oh, yeah. so you've got to be able to shoot 68 when you're not playing well. And that's yeah. what Tiger did for, what, decade and a half, Ned? Turned 75 into 68 somehow, that one round every time, and that's why he's Tiger Woods. I think it's what Brooks does in majors now. Agreed. Well. Agreed. I think it's what, I think it's what yeah. Adam Scott doesn't do at the moment. Oh, great. Yeah. Adam Scott has the opposite going, and, and Adam at his best didn't have that. He did have that. He could hang on and, and make a, a 75 into a 70, but at the moment, uh, Adam turns a 69 into a 74. Oh, I hope he's not listening. Well, but that's kind of what happened at the PGA a little bit. But stupid waste of shots. And it's it's just one round of tournament, and that's and it's you know it's not. I I don't know where it comes from. Mainly driver, really, with Adam. But it's fascinating to watch such a good player do that, and and now try and work it out, and hopefully work it out. I mean, this golf course should suit Adam when we talk about mid long iron players and good putters who are really strong at the moment. He's he's right in that wheelhouse. Yeah. I love what you and, said about that Kepka stuff, sorry, before, Ned, where you get to watch the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If they're smart, the other commentators will be coming to you come Sunday and saying, you've watched him all week. What have you seen from Kepka? To see that develop, you know come Sunday, you've seen what happened Thursday. You've got a completely different view to someone who just switches on in the afternoon, haven't you? Yeah, right, correct. And so we'll have production meetings uh, or you ride in you know, with, with a group of people um, on the broadcast. And so you are sharing that information uh, in those settings so that they have as many arrows in their quivers of information, so to speak, um, when you're covering a guy for sure. Uh, just to touch on Adam Scott, totally agree with you. I mean, this is a golf course where Adam Scott could mm. and hate, I don't like to use the word should, but should and, and certainly can excel. Um, it is, to your point, one round, and I really think it's maybe two swings, and it's typically with a driver, and his miss has been that big block. And I don't know where it comes from. I'm sure he does, but 
it comes up always seems the most inopportune time it goes miles right and it turns into a triple bogey or something and then the next swing is next driver swing is right down the middle yeah so it, it um it's a mystery to me i loved playing with adam scott he's such a gentleman um and such a good hitter of the ball as a guy that you get paired with you knew you were going to be able to watch some golf that was good and his swing helps you play better uh and so it's an easy guy to root for such a good dude so um, but yeah, I, and plus he's a pretty nice bunker player as well. Oh, yeah. His bunker game doesn't get a whole lot of credibility, uh, or credit rather. So yeah, why not? Why not Adam Scott? Well, it's a mistake we make with a lot of one, one round of a, a tournament. Yeah. That's why. It's a mistake we make with a lot of long hitters, isn't it, Ned, that we focus on the amazing things they do with the driver and their short games get overlooked. Dustin Johnson's pretty handy around the greens. Rory Mallory's got yeah. not the full or the half wedges, but around the greens. He's got Adam Scott, as you say, he's hit some incredible bunker shots over the years at really mm. important times and some incredible shots around the greens. They don't get the kudos because they hit it so far off the tee and it's spectacular and wonderful. If you were going to build a golfer, Ned, you'd build Adam Scott, wouldn't you? He's got everything. He misses. He's missing nothing. No, you just that's what you'd build and say that's it. That's a golfer. That's how it right. works. And it's Plus, like, he's he's way more handsome than the rest of oh, us. So yeah, that's right. You that's not fair either. No, be more handsome maybe if he was getting out of that tandem or gear into Angus and Grace Go Golfing. <laughs> sponsor of this podcast. D- double that. Yeah, nice. Enough. Nice. Enough. I've asked this enough. question before, Ned. But if you knew Adam Scott, <laughs> what would you get him for Christmas? What would you get him? What are you going to do? Guy's got well, everything. He, he's got everything. He needs to get rid of the pleats in his pants. I mean, come uh, on. I don't, They're coming back in. <laughs> They're coming back I in. I don't mind the pleats. No. He's bringing them back. No. He's bringing them back. And that little bit, like, hitched up a tiny bit as well, that's that's a look these days. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, what are your duties this ne- this week, Ned? I assume we're going to hear you on the international calls because we normally do, so that's why I said that, but we better check that. Is that what you're doing, and uh, what's the schedule for you? Yeah, the – so th- this year I'm I'm working with uh, NBC and the Golf Channel. I'm oh. going to be on the featured groups coverage. I'm going to be down on the ground. Um, yeah, I normally do the uh, the world feed. Yeah. with uh, the USGA, um, Luke Elvey. Um, but I'm I'm not doing that this year. I'm going to be out on the ground and given given my ties to this golf course and in this place, I really really wanted to be able to be out um, on the course with the players, you know, and be kind of part of the circus. Nice. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a, obviously I love doing the world feed because I played internationally on Asian tour and European tour most of my career. So, um, uh, and, and then work with the, with the BBC and the uh, American voice for BBC golf. So I, I hang my hat on the international side of things, but uh, this week just hit so close to home and uh, NBC was nice enough. Um, it's such an honor to work with them. The, this week on the ground. So I'll be featured group one, um, 36 holes Thursday and Saturday, and then 18 holes on um, Friday and Sunday. Do you know so who it, you've got uh, yet? Do you know who you've got? Uh, I do, but don't uh, I don't remember <laughs> don't, right now. Don't you know? give away it's, trade it's, it's secrets. The best of the best, you know? But um, it, so the yeah, international it's, it's going to be fantastic. The international feed, I think in Australia, we actually get possibly the best coverage oh, of tournament golf. I can't stand Net, the you complaints wouldn't, you everyone wouldn't around get it, the world. But it, everyone on Twitter is going, you know, oh, so many, oh, ads. So many ads. So many. We don't see an ad. Oh, we man. just get rolling coverage. Golf. And we, and network the to international been, feed, back to network. Yeah, despite you the haven't even got time to make coffee. Nah, <laughs> he's been kind enough to join us, but 
it will be a little bit poorer to not have Definitely. Ned. I really enjoyed Ned's work on that international feat because it's good. It's- well, he and Ewan together are a bit like the the two guys in the gallery on the Muppets, aren't they? What are they? <laughs> the two guys trying was, to bash I each other on the head. Simon and, and Garfunkel. So, okay, Simon and Garfunkel. There. <laughs> I got to tell you, <laughs> you mean uh, Marlon working, Marlon. Work, <laughs> working with with um, Luke uh, and and you and Porter. You uh, and I played golf together. We actually traveled together a little bit and. You know how you got your, your your best buddy who you sit next to in school and you just start looking at each other and you cannot stop <laughs> laughing. That's that's um, what you and I'll do. We'll you'll you'll sometimes there'll be thirty seconds of complete silence in, in a broadcast that we're doing together, and it's because we've said something or we we're crack we've cracked each other up, and so we're we're all riding our cough button, and we're just tearing laughing so hard and then you'll hear somebody say you know, adam scott for par seven and then that's all you can get out because we whatever it is is tickled us we're just absolutely dying laughing um and and luke the same we get in there but you and um he when he comes to the states he's uh he comes and he'll stay with me my wife my family and um yeah he's uh gosh he's he's fun i mean he's getting some good opportunities in, in europe yes. on the broadcast side and um of course, what he's done in the, with the junior sixes down there is so commendable. He is, he's really forming a generation of golfers. And so uh, not only is he one of, uh, one of my best buddies, he, he's, um, he's a good soul. So um, I'll miss, I will really, really miss working with he and Luke um, on the world feed and being able to interact with all the fans. Um, but uh, this one for me was real, was real special to actually be on the ground and, and part of that. Have we missed anything before we let you go, Ned? We're probably going to let you go, and we're going to talk about the some of the ugly stuff I didn't in, get your in picks. world golf. But uh, who, who, are y'all uh, who knows? Well, I, we, I picked Dustin we did, Johnson. We did it yesterday for another podcast because yeah. that's just what, I can't even remember who I picked. I picked, I picked Scotty Scheffler if he can get the putter going. I like that he's going to put a new putter in, maybe, and go from there. There's a this is a big this is my area, Ned, not these guys, but <laughs> it's a big equipment nerd week, and this is. Yes. And Jason Day's put in a set of Tiger Woods blades. I'm nerding out on that. And Scotty Scheffler going to a putter without weights in it. That's right up my – as a kid, that uh, was lo- losing it over that. That's Good stuff. I used to be – Oh, so I, I need to uh, – where where can I get all of this information? Where are you putting it out? Because that's great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I we go. don't let him talk about it, so yeah. you'll, you'll have to text him if you want to get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get to writing a story today. I'll get to work. <laughs> dear, oh, dear. Uh, Ned, it's been fantastic of you to take the time. I really enjoyed it. As I said, you're a familiar voice in Australia, but it's been lovely to catch up with you and put a face to the name and uh, and get some thoughts today on what's going to be a pretty special. And we look forward to seeing you on the uh, featured co- featured groups coverage for the next four days or four days from. Yeah, guys, tomorrow. thank you, thank you for uh, for having me. An honor to speak with you, and we'll see how it plays out. Keep an eye on the twelfth hole. I think uh, the twelfth hole is going to sneak up and pick the pocket of a few players. It's okay. it's trickier than people give it credit for. And then, of course, the finish, you got like 1,500-plus yards of just pain, those last four holes. But keep an eye on the 12th. I, I got a suspicion that the 12th is going to wreck somebody. Okay. Nice. That's a good tip. Great. It's I'll inside like it. info. Anybody who's stayed around this long has got the good oil. There. I love how much the course is the story going into yes, it. Yes, it's, it's awesome. so good. That, that, that 2017 Walker Cup that Ned covered is like the blueprint of yeah. what we're going to do and bigger and better is so cool. Yeah, indeed. Thank you, Ned. We appreciate all that. And we look forward to seeing you on the Thank cover. you, gentlemen. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Rod. Joy to have you here. Most enjoyable. Uh, thanks, Luke. Oh, thank you. We'll be back with episode 148 and a new US Open champion next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.